Hey, everybody. This is Frankie from the Breakpoint Podcast. We want to thank you all for tuning in to Marcus and I discussing our love and passion for the game of tennis. Your engagement and support goes a long way to helping this podcast continue to grow. Please be sure to give us a follow, rate our podcast on our social channels, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, or any other place that you get your podcasts. And on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod 7, LinkedIn, and of course, our website, podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you're the first to know when there's a new episode drop and more people like you can find our podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and my co-host, Marcus. And we are back after a lovely Thanksgiving break here. And Marcus, I have to tell you, I have not watched Davis Cup for a hot minute here. But that, what happened this weekend at Davis Cup, to be honest, is the best Davis Cup I have seen in quite a long time. And the format itself did everything possible to try to make it not interesting and not fun. But un- but fortunately for us, Yannick Center came and Novak Djokovic came and it was just off the charts. I mean, Do you the know two why, them- actually? What's up? Do you know why they came? No, please let us know. Because those boys had to qualify for the Olympics next year. Yes. Another interesting point that I forgot to mention. Yes. Very true. Uh yeah, it's it is um it, I'm I'm happy that they both went. I mean, obviously there were a number of people missing specifically from Team Canada with FAA missing and Shapovalov missing and uh I mean Emil Ruzavori was injured, but then I think he came back. So like that whole thing. But <clears throat> on the whole, Spain didn't even qualify, which is kind of nuts. <laughs> Let me think about it. But uh, anyway, neither did Russia, now that I just think about that. But yeah, it's so a lot of sort of upsets going on in Davis Cup, but it ends with Italy uh, beating Australia 2-0 in the final. Yannick Sinner takes down Alex Dimonor handily, 6-3, 6-0. That match was a blowout. And Matteo Arnaldi beats Alexei Papyrin in the first match. Um, dedicates it to his girlfriend's dad. Very emotional for him and and everything. The whole team seemed to be kind of emotional with that victory. But Italy captures its first Davis Cup uh, in over 40 years, which is really, really amazing. Um, As a tennis nation, Italy has come so far um, from like, you know, when we were younger and started watching tennis. But but Marcus, I'm curious as to your thoughts. There was a lot going on, but just just sort of, and we'll get into like the specifics, but Generally, what did you think of this Davis Cup? Well, first off, I think I don't think Frankie has ever been more ecstatic about an Italian sports event since 2021 when they won the Euros. So big, big one for Frankie here. He, he's needed it. Italy did qualify for Euro 2024. Happy for you there. But I think this was a little bit more. This was a little bit more important than Euro than Italy qualifying for Euros. Am I right or am I wrong? Uh, this one will take the cake. Yeah. I mean, okay. as it, it takes the cake because of the journey getting there, 
because of the win against Serbia, which we'll get into. But yes, in general, yes. Also, if anyone here listening is from North Macedonia, don't even bother. Get off. I'm not interested in your viewership. Find another podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm sure our two listeners there will definitely contact us on Instagram. But uh, with that being said, this Davis Cup... Um, Normally, in the past few years, for reasons we're going to get into later in the episode, I have not followed Davis Cup since uh, Gerard Piquet and that whole Cosmo Sports Entertainment Group has taken over Davis Cup and has changed the format, which we'll get to later. However, once I took a look, because every year I take a look to see who's playing, and when I saw the names Yannick Sinna and Novak Djokovic in there, I was like, okay, I'm tuning in. Um, truth be told, that... Italy-Serbia match probably should have been the final. Um, I don't know how they did that with the draw and the seeds. Something happened maybe with the way they ended up in the groups, in the group stage. I don't know. That should have been the final. Um, but regardless, an amazing tournament, mainly because those two played. Uh, even even the Great Britain match with Novak getting into it with, with the fans there was awesome. Um, you know, you got to love the, the atmosphere of Davis Cup is always great with that kind of international flair um something that you get a little bit more with, with soccer but it's nice to bring that into tennis but i think frankie the thing that we got to talk about is that yannick sinner had yannick sinner beat novak djokovic twice in one day which not too many people can say he beat him in singles in three sets after being down four five love, love 40. 40 i was watching that with my dad via facetime and i was like oh man djokovic is just too good again and he just calmly held those three points Held serve, got a quick break, and then took care of business at the end. Played exceptionally well, uh, and then he took care of business in doubles as well, which and I was super came back from by. Love Forty again in doubles. By the way, if you remember, there you go. So that's twice in one day, and now he's beaten Novak twice in one week. Uh, went two and one against him this week. Won the first match at the ATP Finals, lost the final. Djokovic played unreal, uh, and now he's beaten Novak again when it's on the line. So. Amazing tournament from from Italy. He, Yannick Sinner single-handedly basically won Davis Cup for Italy, kind of like what we've seen in the past, uh, done by other players. So really, really great that they were able to get these guys there. I think kind of like what I mentioned in the beginning, it wasn't really so much the fact that they really wanted to play Davis Cup. It was more so we got to kind of want we got to qualify for the olympics i think djokovic would have been granted an exception although maybe they were going to give that to carlos i'm not sure um there's there's some weird rules with the olympics they give you an exemption if you're a slam winner but uh basically these guys wanted to seal their credentials for 2024 in paris so um overall i thought it was a great tournament i thought australia played super well i mean not the craziest of draws um but they usually do take care of business they have really strong doubles so that's always kind of a uh, a tough matchup, especially if Demenauer can get hot and get a singles match. But in the end, they're just not good enough to beat Jan and, uh, and Matteo Arnaldi. And think about it, if we even think about it this, I mean, Berrettini wasn't even healthy to play for Italy, who would have put them even further up. Musetti got injured halfway through. So Italy is a tennis nation, like Frankie mentioned, has come a long way. I mean, when you and I were growing up, it was mainly Andrea Seppi. It was right? Seppi and Fognini, and that's it. Seppi Fognini, Potito Staracci, if you remember him. Guy was just, well, I only saw him during the Monte Carlo tournament because all he could do was play on clay. But like that was it. You know, I was like, I always asked my dad, I'm like, any Italian player? He's like, no, just just this guy. So yeah, big, and big of course, don't, don't forget uh 
a former Roland Garros finalist, Marco Cecchinato, from not too long Se- ago. Semi-finalist. Semi-finalist. Correction. Yes. Yeah, Marco Cecchinato. That's a good name. That's a good name. That's a deep cut, Frankie. That's a deep cut. Still plays on the tour, by the way. He made it yeah. to like the third or fourth round the other year. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 not surprising. I, I think Italy, as a tennis nation, has sort of taken the Spanish playbook and really just copy-paste, right? I mean, Italy is now home to a ton of challengers uh, in the on the tour, which, as we've seen, is just essential to kind of grow young talent, and particularly at the professional level as the game has sort of shifted out of the academy model and has now transitioned to, like, the challenger tour being the minor leagues, like the real minor leagues now. So, <clears throat> you know, Italy's done a good job sort of following Spain's uh, footsteps there. Uh, obviously it's easier for countries like Italy or Spain or France to do the challenger model because geographically they're just not huge countries. Like the U S has a ton of challengers in it and Russia also has a ton of challengers in it, but their countries are so large that like people don't realize, like if you're a junior in Florida, like going to Washington state is very far. (laughs) That's a very hard trip. That's across Europe, basically. For, yeah, for the it, other Europeans, so it's like going from Greece to like Scott to like not even Scotland, like Northern Ireland. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just big. So, for countries like Italy, for France, for Spain, um, you know, that's a hundred percent the blueprint they should be following, and 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 Italy have executed it really well. And you know, Marcus, for me, what stood out, obviously, you pointed out that match with Jan and, and Novak. For me, this this match was a very big deal for Jan because it showed me personally that the win against Novak wasn't a fluke. It was not just because the surface was super fast and Jan was serving really well in Turin. And that if anything, the final of that tournament was the sort of anomaly where Djokovic just played out of his mind. And in reality, the two of them are almost parry with each other in terms of ability at this point. Uh, I, I think that Novak has to play that well every time that he plays Carlos and Jan now in order to win. Um, and that is something that Novak has not had to worry about in terms of being able to, in terms of having to be at his top form to beat at least two players in the world. I want to say in like four years, I, I, I genuinely, I, I, I think since like More. 2019 Medvedev and 2019 Nadal is the last time that I can think of where he yeah. had to be at that level. Yeah. Um, Sinner is, in my opinion, like I know he's ranked fourth in the rankings, but for me right now, he's third best in the world. You for you two, for you two. Okay, two, I two and got... three. No, I, I have no problem with with three. I think two or three easily arguable. Carlos has the grand slam, and and he should be two. Yeah, I'm picking Car. I, I, I'm picking Carlos because I think he's also got a little bit more upside than Jan, which we'll get into in another episode. But, um, yeah, you don't like that. I like it though. The sneak like preview. I'm on the sneak other side pre- of that. Wow. Shocking. Shocking. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
also the, the fact that he this is such a huge huge confidence boost for him i can't i can't say that enough about how important this is for him um for 2024 the fact that he is able to get not only just see it's one thing to like play novak because i think it's great to even get to play novak because you learn a lot you learn about okay what do i got to do in order to get to this level but if you're able to beat him twice you've got a blueprint now am i saying that he's going to beat novak every time next year no but he this is the first time where we've seen jan play novak where we're like okay this can go either way at this point i still want to see a little bit more physicality from jan which i think that they're going to build upon this offseason he gained those seven pounds of muscle um but i'm liking what i'm seeing from him i think bringing home a italian Davis Cup title is amazing, and Frankie, you're right on. I mean, the amount of futures and challenges that they have in Italy, it makes a huge difference. They've finally taken advantage of that nice weather there. Uh, they should be pumping out tennis players for a very long time. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think, like I said it, you know, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before. I think that Yannick Sinner is going to have a 2011 Novak type of leap, and I sort of stand by that prediction. Um, if anything, this reaffirms it for me. I don't know if it's going to be a three grand slam by any means, but like I would, if you, if you told me that Yannick Center, like if fast forward one year from now, if you told me that Yannick Center won two out of four majors and at some point in the year reached number one in the world, I would not be entirely surprised. I, I, I think he is right now on a rocket ship in terms of his form. And his movement, I think that he he just very clearly has figured out what he needs to do to win some of these big matches. I mean, this guy couldn't beat Medvedev to save his life a few months ago. He's now beaten him three consecutive times. He's the first player to beat Novak Djokovic twice in a calendar year since Daniil Medvedev in 2019. He has a winning record against Carlos Alcaraz, who's his other like primary rival in this whole thing. I, I just to me it, like the stars and the everything is sort of aligning for him it's just a matter of taking advantage of that that's going to be the sort of next step now because now now it's now it's it's all there for him now all i'm going to say is this frankie don't remember what happened after italy won euros we were talking they're going to win the world cup and they didn't even qualify. Didn't lose it. Technically didn't lose it. Didn't lose because a match. They, because they couldn't even make it. No comment. So. UEFA's corrupt. You, <laughs> I think okay, North Marcus, let's, let's be clear. Sidebar. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. If Germany was not hosting Euro 2024, they are not making that tournament. We're not talking about Germany here. We're talking about Italy. <laughs> and it's fine we'll be at the next one we'll get our euros it's all good everybody calm down are we in pot three yes but we're in a pot so <laughs> in a pot. so is germany and i love it we're in the top pot too oh man uh but in, but in all seriousness let's frankie let's get into the um now that we know we've kind of discussed the whole yawn and, and what an amazing davis cup performance Speaking oh, of wait before before we move on, sure I will say, 
someone that needs to be shout uh, like given a proper shout out is Lorenzo Sonigo, who was unbelievable in his doubles matches. Like absolutely phenomenal. Novak and Kazmanovic kept pounding him at net during that second set. And Sonigo at one point like dipped in form when uh, Serbia broke back after Italy's initial break in the second set. And he just like stepped right back up and started cranking out like inside out forehands, finishing at the net. He was really, really, really uh, fantastic. Yeah, Frankie, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought the only time that guy came to net was to shake hands. So I'm very impressed. Same. I'm, I mean, same. Yeah. I, I've seen him. Like, I knew that he played doubles with Jan before. Like, they're, like, good friends off the court. But I legitimately think, like, if Italy, like, when Italy obviously has their doubles uh, pairing for the Olympics, that might be my pick. Like, kind of crazy enough. Uh, it, I would not do Sinner and Musetti or... I mean, we'll see if Berrettini's healthy. He would be a fantastic doubles player, obviously. But, I mean, Jan and Sonigo didn't really... Like, they looked awesome. Yeah. That's a solid pairing, man. That's a solid pairing, for sure. All right, Frankie. So, since we were talking about Euros and World Cups, let's let's bring it to the tennis side of things. So, Davis Cup is the World Cup of tennis. They put let's... that on the floor, too, just to make that clear for everybody. Right, 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 right. What they consider the World Cup of tennis. Bunch of baloney. No pun intended. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about why it got worse and what you and I think can be done to make this event more attractive outside of having Novak Djokovic and Yannick Sinner playing. I think the... I'll start and then I'll I'll hand it off to you because I think you're going to have much better thought. You're more passionate about this than I am. Um, my initial thought is scarcity value. That's like the thing that the World Cup does so much better yes. than everybody else every four years and having the sort of continental competitions every, you know, in uh, every two years between, i.e. every year between. Um, for me... I think Davis Cup needs to be every two years. It should be the year before the Olympics and the year after the Olympics. And that is probably the best way to break it up. Add some sort of scarcity value, gives the players a break and proper rest during the off seasons that it's not on. And at the same time, it gives them a good warm up and a good sense of doubles pairings for Olympics. If you move it to the schedule that I just suggested, I think doing it every four years would be a little bit difficult. I think then it, like diminishes it too much just because we're used to having it every year. And I don't think that tennis is really the best format to be doing like the Euros and the North America. Like it, it just doesn't kind of work like that. Well, we kind of have a, it's weird because we also have the United Cup. Yeah. And the Labor Cup. We've got like three different competitions going on, which makes no sense. Right. So I think there should be one. So if you're going to make it Davis Cup, let's make it Davis Cup. Let's get rid of the United Cup and let's just have like ATP, WTA tournaments before um, before the before the Australian Open. So that would be one. Two, totally agree with you on scarcity value. I was thinking even every three years potentially. I don't know. I not didn't think about too far ahead about how that would work in terms of sequencing. But I think every two to four years to make it more interesting and more valuable, right? Because if we have Davis Cup every year, it's like, 
Novik's not playing next year. Jan's not playing next year. Nobody's going to play next year. Maybe Carlos will play because he's like, oh, well, I've never won Davis Cup. Let me get this out of the way early in my career. Um, interestingly enough, Federer did the opposite. He ignored Davis Cup for a while earlier in his career. And then later in his career, he's like, you know what? I haven't ever won Davis Cup. I'm going to go and play. Here's another main problem that I have with the new format of Davis Cup, Frankie, is that it has taken away a lot of the home and away ties. Uh, so for the qualifying stage, they have it in four neutral site cities, all played on the same surface, same homogenous looking court. And then the finals, they just have it in Malaga, Spain, which I don't really understand at all. Besides the fact that the because PK is from Spain. Thank you. Makes no sense. Um, I think one, if you're going to have like the qualifying ties, they all need to be home away like they used to be. Why? Because one, it generates a true f- home and away fan environment. Two, it was awesome when countries got the pick services. For example, when the U.S. would bring in some European country and the U.S. would literally find the fastest possible ITF court possible, have them play on that or like build a – They built one time they built a grass court in the San Diego uh, baseball stadium. Awesome. Or the opposite way where – I remember, I think it was Serbia hosted the U.S., and they built the slowest clay court I've ever seen in my life to watch those guys suffer. So that that whole uniqueness is now completely taken out of the way. It's just a normal indoor hardcore event. It's kind of meh. Um, second, the final itself, so what happens in Malaga, need, should be rotated at least to three, th- three or four of the main continents. I think every couple of years to kind of keep things allow fans to try, you know, cause if you keep putting it in Europe and like Australia makes it like, it's tough for Australians to go over there all the time. You know what I mean? What do you think? I agree and disagree with what you've said. So the things I agree with, I agree the surfaces, you got to have different surfaces. That's like part of the fun and like the sort of game gamesmanship that goes on. I will say that I actually do like the idea of not doing too many home and away legs because it limits travel and like my priority in the back of my head is if I want these guys to play, I've got to make it comfortable for them. I've got to make it so that way they don't have to crisscross the world and, you know, add more travel. It's tough to play tennis as it is. I don't want to add more to it. So I actually like the compromise you've done where it's like the qualifying is done in home and away legs. And then we have, I think you could do it two ways. You could do one, which is the Eurovision way of doing it, which is if you win it, you host it, right? You host next year's, which is perfectly viable to me. Or you have countries bid. You say, hey, this Davis Cup 2025 is North American, um, Places, please place your bid if you want to host it. 2027, okay, South America, you're going to host it. Please place your bid. Oh, Asia, you're going to host it. 2027, please place your bid. And you just have it cycle through the continents like that because then it adds scarcity value for everybody that actually lives in these places to like want to go, right? Because it's not going to be there every year. And B, it's sort of limits the travel and players know hey i'm only going here for a week it's like i'm going to a tournament i don't have to crisscross the world like can you imagine going from italy to australia in a matter of a few days like that's terrible 
And, you know, the fact is we have to remember that like Australia is a top five tennis nation ever. And they are a very key part of, you know, how we have to think, you know, critically about the travel portion of this. You know, we don't want it to become like what soccer is, where it's just completely Eurocentric and everything is really just based on the European time zone. Right, which is why I think the scarcity of having it every two to four years and rotating it would solve that problem. Um, I think that that's, that's a really good point. Here's another one, Frankie, that kind of bothers me and I think should be done. Um, I don't – so two, I think we should keep it two out of three sets, by the way. I don't think we should go back to three out of five. Uh, I also think that I think if you want to make it two out of three matches to win a match, fine. But I also think we should maybe start looking at a three out of five format, especially if we're going to be doing this every couple of years. So meaning three, three singles, singles, two doubles, two doubles, and you cannot play in two matches. So what I'm so you see what I'm saying? So Sinner played singles and doubles. I don't think that should be allowed. I think you should have your number one singles, whoever your top rank guy is against their top rank guy. Do it by the ATP rankings. And then pick out your double teams, but five different people have to play. Why? Because I don't think it's sometimes in, in this case. Yes, Italy, I think, is one of the best is the best tennis nation as a whole right now in terms of its depth. But I don't think that that is always accurately represented. For example, when Switzerland won Davis Cup a few years back, it's Federer and Vavrinka playing the singles uh on day one and then doubles and then if they have to go out and play singles again they do it switzerland has had nobody at the time beyond those two guys so it wasn't a true representation of oh they're the best nation in tennis no they're not they have the two best players but not as a whole does that make sense okay so i'm with you on three out of five um I think asking some of these nations to potentially go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven deep is tough. Why? Um, I think I think you just you saw would be the... surprised at how low the quality can get when you go seven deep. That's yeah. Okay. Well, think about it this way. I I think I think that if you bring a squad of five, it's like the World Cup. It's like we see bring, like Saudi Arabia bring, play. I. I don't like watching them play. They're horrible. But, but they beat Argentina, so they <sighs> de facto won the World Cup. Okay, here we go. See? Uh, very similar to Tahiti's performance in the Confederations Cup a few years ago. Thank you. Um, but no, I, I think maybe I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with it. You don't want a situation where it's just like you bring a squad of five and two guys play, right? Like that's not great. I think my solution would be if you bring a squad of five players or you bring a squad of six players, you know, one for injury reserve, um, all five of those guys have to play. Meaning that one singles, one, one, like everybody, your three guys will play singles. You have a, a unique doubles pairing because that has to be one. And then if you want to have two people double up for another doubles, that's fine. Um, because I do think like the thing that I disagree with you on, I love watching the singles guys like Jan and Novak play doubles. I love watching that. So but to potentially lose that, I think would be a mistake because that is like, 
sort of their exposure to the double side of things. And I think like watching high level tennis players play doubles like that. And I'm not talking about like Rajiv Ram or something where it's just like this guy would be like the 500th ranked singles player in the world, but he's so good at doubles that he's, you know, fine. I'm talking about like the top five players in the world playing doubles and like watching that level of tennis being played on like a doubles format is something really unique that I don't get to see at any other point in tennis. And I don't want to lose that. I could maybe get on board with that. I just want to make sure that it's not too top heavy because I think it's been too top heavy in the past. And I think that that's not an accurate representation. And again, I think it's fair to, I mean, we've seen it at the United Cup where some countries like make it and they bring in, you know, it's like when Greece makes it to the United Cup and like it's Stefanos's brother. You know, it also kind of gives these guys an opportunity to like play against top players too and to show out like, you know, again, it's like kind of like Saudi Arabia or these other countries playing in the World Cup. I think it's just a fair, if we're going to make it global, like let's make it global. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the United Cup like Labor Cup needs to go. That's just a useless competition to me. But the United Cup, I actually do think is a really interesting one in the sense of that's another thing where it's like, I don't get to see you guys play mixed doubles like that, like at this yeah. level. And I think it is really interesting to like holistically think what's the best tennis country period. Forget men, forget women. What's the best tennis country? Like, I think that's a very different answer than like, potentially who might win the Davis Cup or who might win the Billie Jean King Cup or whatever they're calling it nowadays. Um, and that's where I think like maybe you enter into a situation where the Davis Cup is every four years and then you have the uh, United Cup in the two-year intervals, right? Where it's like... So every Olympic, four like, and every four. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you do like uh, 2022 three is davis cup 2024 is the olympics one year break or two year break then it's uh uh davis cup four years later in 2027 olympics united cup the year after something like that yeah where you start okay yeah i can get on board with you that. get what and i'm saying have, so that way it, yeah. it splits up the time um or maybe one year after the olympics because people will probably be exhausted after the olympics yeah, no, not a bad idea. I like the, I like the, I like mixing in the United Cup stuff too, and definitely don't want to make that too top heavy either. Um, definitely, I, I like adding depth to these events as long as you can get a little bit of depth to kind of give these other nations a fighting chance and kind of put that on display. It'll also thing motivate countries more, you know, instead of you know like. I don't know if it'll motivate countries more, but you know, if someone like Greece, for example, like they ride on city, they ride everything on Tsitsipas and Sakari. But what do you have beyond that? Like can, maybe Greece can push that in the future. You know, they'd be like, hey, maybe we can get a better, better depth beyond those two or beyond his brother. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely agree. And like, it's interesting, like with Italy now, just because we're talking about them, right? Like Italy in the 2010s was the best women's tennis country in the world for a period with between uh francesca schiavoni and roberta vinci uh Flavia Panetta, right like they had grant multiple grand slam winners in there multiple grand slam finalists they had an all italian roland garros final like they were you know they were phenomenal and they won the, the billy jean king cup quite a few times men were miserable 
So it would be sort of really interesting to kind of have, you know, the best like women's country with not really the best like men going up against like, oh, these guys have really strong men and then they've got not so great women. It's all going to ride on the mixed doubles, right? Like that's going to be super compelling and interesting and different for me. Like that's what like these competitions should just be different. And I don't think that they're standing out as unique enough now. No, and you can tell by the participation. Um, if you're not getting, you know, if you're if you're not getting guys because you know the Olympics aren't the next year, then you've got a problem. And I think that in, to incentivize, especially if you make it more scarce, and you have some, um, you have some countries. For example, Germany was like in the group below the qualifying. That's massive incentive for them to like send Sverev you know, send Struff like, Hey, we got to go. If we ever want to make Dave, if we want to make Davis cup in two or three years, we got to go do this. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, with European and world cup qualifying, like you got to go put out your best lineups and qualifying. Cause if you don't, you might not make it. Cause it's getting so competitive now. Um, especially, I mean, you saw Euro qualifying this year is crazy competitive. I mean, Romania won their group, not to get off topic here with soccer, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, listen, it, it... Soccer being the world sport and being by far the sort of hegemony sport in the world, whatever you want to call it, like it should be used as sort of a guiding light for all of the rest of the sports in terms of like their decision making and how they sort of organize it. I mean, even basketball in the United States has now sort of adopted like the idea of a cup competition within its NBA season, right? So, like, we should definitely be, as tennis fans, thinking what can we do better that other sports have already done, right? What are the easy, low-hanging fruit? We don't need to test this out. We don't like. We know that this will work. We know that it's really effective, and that's sort of where I think um, this all comes in. And and obviously, like the idea of the Labor Cup was to take the idea of the Ryder Cup from golf, right? Individual sport european dominated that's got to be a home run right but it's not it, it's it's just different right and yeah. and you know i i think that like golf has always had like this sort of rivalry going on between the european players and the american players in tennis that hasn't really existed like it's sort of just this artificial rivalry that's gone on like if anything most european player players hate other european players more <laughs> so I know you're putting you're putting Medvedev and Tsitsipas on the same team. Like, what what fun is that, right? Like, come on. Uh, like, also, you want to keep it interesting? Let's do Eastern Orthodox Europeans versus Catholic, Roman Catholic Europeans. Let's really put the gasoline and the di like in the fire. You know, just great put schism, the Great Schism Cup. Just putting the curios versus everybody. Curios, Tsitsipas, Djokovic. Medvedev, uh, Rublev on one side, Zverev also on one side, and then let's get uh, Sinner, Alcaraz, uh, I can't even think of them off the top of my head, Arthur Fee, the, I don't know. Like, like the good guys? Yeah, like just let's just shake this thing up, huh? Yeah, no, they definitely need to shake things up. Also, Labor Cup sucks now that like it was it was cool for a year or two because like oh, Federer and Djokovic are gonna or Federer and the Dollar are gonna play doubles. 
they were they're basically that done. The I mean, you know, yeah, you know, Fed's done. Nadal's not, or he's coming back next year for his final year. Djokovic doesn't want to play that thing anymore. It's like I didn't even know the Labor Cup was going on this year. If I'm going to be honest with you, couldn't tell you if Francis Tiafo is the main character of your competition. I I'm out. I mean, if the Breakpoint podcast doesn't pot about it, yeah, that's bad. Enough. That's bad because we're a pretty scarce podcast these days. So if we're not talking about you, you are low on the news feed. All we're going to say. Damn straight. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, We are. Thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry this one went a little bit over, but, you know, Marcus and I get each other's gears going sometimes. So we will uh, catch you next time. Thanks for listening. We've got some exciting off-season content for you all coming up shortly. See ya. Deuces.